Hi, Ian. Thank you for joining us on Black Ink Cinema's podcast. You are a producer, director, you co-founded Pulse Films and also BAFTA nominated for McQueen documentary, which was amazing. For those people who do not know who you are, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you want to do the McQueen documentary. Wow. Um, so, um, Ian Bonnot, uh, born and raised in Switzerland, Geneva, and French mother but from the south of France, Catalan, and got Jewish or Polish from my grandmother, quite of a melting pot of, uh, mm. of a bit of everywhere. Um, uh, came to the UK 22 years ago now, started studying, got kicked out of film school, then sort of uh, really wanted to work into the short form because I felt that would be the best way to get my my craft going. Yeah. So I was doing club visual, so I did a lot. I was, luckily, I had started to do club visual in Switzerland. I was working a lot in gay clubs at the time, house stuff, but I was I had a crew, Sub6, which is a great drum and bass crew with a lot of MCs. They came from a hip-hop scene and stuff, and I was projecting images, and they had a night in London at the Blue Note. I don't know if you remember wow. the Blue Note. Of even heard it. That was the place to be in Oxton back in the days when there was nothing. Okay. And I met some uh, a visual crew in the UK, and they were doing Swage, which was an Asian beat night. They were doing... Um, uh, oh my God, Metalheads with Goldie and stuff and all the okay. great German bass DJ. And I kind of <laughs> slimed myself and stuck <laughs> with them when I moved to London and like showed up on the studio and said, like, can I work with you? And we got on very well and I started. And then we started to do music video. I did um, my first, first music video was for uh, a sort of hip hop duo with a singer called Alison David. Okay. Uh, and then I did a lot as I was doing a, where the residency had a night called Scratch, which was a hip hop night in the Scala. And that is literally, I don't even think that Wiley had started to think about um, <laughs> I, I love hip hop, so that, I'm sure that would have been so cool. It was really cool at the time. And, well, you know what was really cool is that hip hop wasn't working in the UK, but there was still mm. a really cool UK scene. Yeah. And the UK scene was really unpretentious. There was people like Blaze, the Estelle, MC Estelle, before she kind of become a bit like poppy, she was really cool MC okay. and really street. Uh, I mean, we had Maiji Blige coming at the, the oh, show. Oh, wow. Eminem. It was a big night. Scratch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe one day I would, would like to make a documentary about that amazing, you know, scene. And then started Pulse Film and with literally um, living room in with my business partner at the time, Thomas Bensky. I love Pulse Films. They've made some really great, you know, series and, and films. Yeah, yeah, Pulse Film is great. I kind of grew apart, potentially creatively. I wasn't really part of the management after a while and uh, I wanted to do a film. I did a first film with my business, actual business partner and co-producer, Jim Ryder, which was called Ali Katz. Okay. We saw of... Um, um, Dee was producing as well short films at the time she produced Adam Horton's uh, film um, Get Some which was great little horror film at the time anyway we were starting to do loads of little things and so yeah. I kind of stepped out very luckily uh, sold to Vice Media so I was able to get some money and go off and start my own thing uh, and out of that we had done the first film Addy Cats and we produced 
McQueen out of that and another film called um, A Viking Destiny and it's like a Viking film cool. and but it was really interesting as producer because we produced that as well as we did McQueen and one was really much about trying to create with a low budget I think we had 1.8 million dollars no okay. actually we had a bit more two million dollars something and we, we had loads of fighting sequence where McQueen was very much about the emotion and etc etc and why did it get me to want to make sorry it's a great documentary Thank you. Um, what attracted to McQueen is literally, I moved to London in 97, and 97 McQueen was boom. Booming, yeah. Booming. Yeah. And literally, you know, at the time, social media didn't exist, the internet didn't really exist. It's just starting up, we were all having our first email addresses, etc., etc. <laughs> and magazines was everything. And the UK had had this amazing culture of counterculture magazine if you want you know you would yeah. have that the, the boring fog i keep on saying boring fog and they've been kind of nice with them McQueen, but for me it was boring fog. i insisted <laughs> them in paris saying like i never read fog i will never read fog anyway oh always a big admirer and i was doing my short form career i did quite a lot of things in fashion and literally the project came out from a brainstorm with our co-producer which came out of a distributor and they were like oh what cool great britain uh, hasn't had like a proper movie doc lately, which mm. would be great. And they said, my queen. And they called me up and then we jumped on the bandwagon with, with D and we kind of came up with the concept and stuff. But at the beginning of coming up with the concept, the concept was trying to tell the story through the shows. We yeah. had no money at the time, no access to anyone, no contact with the family or anybody else. So we started from scratch, scratch, scratch. And they got a sales agent involved that other company called Salon Pictures. So it was Misfits and Salon Pictures. Yes. Misfits being us now. And uh, we took it to Berlin in 2017, if I don't say something stupid. And they sold, and they sold, managed to raise a million dollars, million quid straight away in three, four days because there was a demand for it. The time had been long enough, seven, eight years after his, his, his sad um, uh, passing, his death, and maybe not too long that still he was fresh in people's memory as an audience yeah. and stuff so i think it was a bit of a chance encounter in a way but a mm -hmm. big big mcqueen fan i mean mcqueen broke many taboos yes uh, and which if we talk about black culture he's been mm -hmm. using amazing you know black models yeah. very early on yeah um and not only you know like because naomi campbell became like the great one but yes. he, you know he worked with a lot of people across the board and yeah. he worked with people with disability which is something that actually is very much connected to what i'm doing now because we're making another documentary about the paralympic movement yeah. uh wanted to do something completely different um so yeah he's, he's just really groundbreaking in his work and his approach and and i like the fact that he didn't give a fuck i tend to yeah. not give a fuck um i think he had a bit of a darkness that I don't have yeah. uh, personally, mm -hmm. uh, which took a toll on us to, just, you know, to harness for the film because we had to to dig deep within it. But um, he's a genius. It's an understatement. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the thing that really impressed me is that the UK is not a fashion capital originally. Mm -hmm. yeah. they, there's only one whole couture brand in the UK and there will only be one for the rest of his story. It's mm -hmm. Alexander McQueen. Yeah. That's it. I and when you Go ahead, sorry. sorry. And I was just saying, I think for me, what's really um, why I can relate is because I grew up in and around Stratford. So to kind of see 
I know where he's from, like, mm-hmm. and to go to Rokeby and that kind of, and to know his background and then to become this like international superstar and kind of really break down barriers and smash ceilings. It's so inspiring. Like, honestly, it's, uh, and it's hard to watch when you, you see like the dark side and things that he's battling and, and all of that. It's kind of difficult. Um, but I think that that came through in the documentary. Thank you. The great thing as well, I think, you know, if I, I'm going to keep on expanding and you stop me if I'm going off. Oh, no, knock yourself out. It's fine. (laughs) What was interesting, what I found really interesting was the 90s in the UK. The 90s in the UK was a sort of finally working class, people Mm -hmm. from a working class background and women were starting to be recognized. Yeah. Then I feel that the 2000s, the noughties was a bit of a weird middle ground year when a lot of the black culture of the UK started to sell a lot more mm. because I'm talking about, you know, a lot of, you know, my perception of it, that the black culture has come from, you know, an immigrant background, obviously. Mm. So it's the typical layers of some of the cities in the UK, the Liverpool, mm. the Birmingham and the London, obviously. And that sort of, I would say the 80s was probably for the working class, like a sort of bubbling underneath. And then the 90s exploded. John Galliano was working class. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of the YBA, the young British artists, are from a working class background, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the music and actually the visual art and more of even the fine arts uh, in 2000 were bubbling within Mm -hmm. the black culture, which is this other side of immigration, you know, or... Because a lot of the working class immigration, in, in, working class in the UK, are not 100% uh, British or anything like this. They yeah. might have been Italian background, exactly. Russian background, Spanish, Jews, mm. whatever is that melting pot. And I think like now, 2000 and hopefully more 2010 and onwards, that's where we start seeing a few rising stars and people really making it big. Because I yeah. was, when Adam asked me to talk and stuff, I was thinking like get my facts together and all the rest of it. And, and it's because we've, we've come up with a concept which is not sold yet. I shouldn't talk too much about it, but it's basically called 97. I've talked too much already. And it's basically <laughs> taking the year 97 in the UK and look how things have come to make 97 and what 97 created. And there was a massive things because, you know, Wiley's first step, you know, the, fir- the first sound, you know, from two steps and garage moving yeah, yeah. to grime and all of that was yeah. that late 90s, early 2000s. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's so interesting that you say that I, and because 97 is one of my favorite musical years. Like I think there's some of the best R&B hip hop music that you like literally ever hear. And so that's a memory that year I remember very clearly. There's a few other years that kind of merge into one, but that year seems to just really stay in your head with the events that happened in 97. And UK or US or overall, would you say? UK, mm. UK. And and like you said, like, you know, British music was really, or black British music, sh- should I say, was really making grounds and growing in the UK. I mean, now it's like normal. People think like, you know, it's always been like this. And it literally, it literally okay. hasn't, you know, there were pirate stations that we had. Pirate to stations. And, yeah. then, and then basically in a way that, I remember people I adore like Trixie and the mm-hmm. Ronnie Size and stuff or Goldie. They mm-hmm. were within that sort of fringe of the dance stuff when it exploded, sort of core, what you said, oh. just that mm-hmm. garage that mm-hmm. came from really, the, you know, a West Indie culture, mm-hmm. I would say. Again, you know, it's just from an observer point of view, really come out there. What else are you working on that you can talk about? 
to, one thing we can talk about easily is a film called Rising Phoenix. And basically it's the history of the Paralympic, the event for people with an impairment. Yeah. Uh, the word that we tend to use is disabled people, but after working almost two years on it is a word I try to not use anymore because disabled means something that doesn't work. And I can tell you everything works. Not everything works, but what works, works really well. We tend in our general society, we tend to try to have names for things. Yeah, and I, can, I cannot bear names. We cannot generalize. Yeah. We've chosen around eight, nine athletes and we tell the whole story. And the story is very interesting because it's... Uh, um, we try not to tell it like um, it started then and he, and he gets, but we, try, we tell the story by starting in London and finishing in Rio and doing loads of juxtapositions yeah. and looking back at the story of the movement. And the story of the movement, the movement was funded by a Jewish doctor that escaped Nazi Germany and that was actually accepted in the UK. And he got started in, uh, in Stock Mandeville, which is an hospital um, northwest, and he um, got given a spinal cord injury unit. So a lot of soldiers that came from the Second World War were being left to die because if they had the servant back, they would just pump them up with morphine and they would have no interest because they couldn't fight anymore. Oh, and he basically cool. found a treatment where he would avoid bed sores and other organ uh, Dif uh, organ failures and mm -hmm. he started the things and people starting to survive mm -hmm. and after the people starting to survive they started to actually create a way to as you call it to find something for them to do basically mm -hmm. um and he started to introduce them to sport and the, the sport movement grew and that was 1948 when he started the first game and you know 2012 was an amazing event and then yeah. 2016 in brazil was almost did not happen because people were stealing money from the movement, etc. So we tell that story looking back through the story of athletes. And because it's such a global movement, we go from South Africa to um, China, Japan, Australia, the UK, the US. We feature a lot of athletes from uh, Latino backgrounds as well. So yeah. Awesome. And when will we be able to watch this? That is a Netflix original and it's out the 25th or the 26th of August. I'm about, we, they're, I'm about, they're about to release the trailer. We just saw uh, a draft, which is, needs Fantastic. some work. Yeah, <laughs> I look should, forward to it. Yeah, it should be um, all announced within the next week or so, basically. Great. And so just so people can keep up to date with you, have you got, you want to share with us your social media handles? Yeah, I mean, uh, Instagram is always the best. I'm not the best at social media. I'm one of the old guys. And there it's um, sorry, you and I both. <laughs> it's uh, Ian Bonnot. So since uh, this is Black Ink Cinema podcast, we asked you to pick a film that you, a black film that you would like to discuss, and you picked um, Glory. The classic Glory, um, directed by Edwick Zwick, um, starring an ensemble of an amazing cast Morgan Freeman, Denzel Washington. Why did you pick this um, classic Civil War? I picked it because basically there's lots of other films I could have chosen. And um, I think Adam and I share um, uh, 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 a passion and for Spike Lee. I mean, I remember he, was, he got his first BAFTA and his first Oscar the year we were nominated for McQueen. Yeah. And... I am so arrogant and pretend. No, I'm not arrogant, <laughs> but I don't get I don't get starstruck except him. So I had to have my my little selfies, and it's one of oh, my of course, own. of course, uh, we've all been there. It's okay. 
Yeah, and he and he and he loves it. That's what is great. Oh, um, does he? <laughs> yeah, he loves it. No. He did it. It was a lot of people. Anyway, but my point is, I thought that Glory, Glory, really, when I first watched Glory, Glory is a very good emotional film mm. about mainly black protagonist. Mm-hmm. But why I wanted to pick up the film yeah. is because. My, uh, sorry, Matthew Broderick, I don't want to say something wrong. Yeah, Matthew Broderick becomes the hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's what I wanted to raise as an issue more than actually, it's not a black film because yeah. it's been treated through the prism of a white society. Yeah. You're following the narrative of Matthew and his character. And, and then, you know, it's really interesting. Sorry, sorry, Richard. You, yeah. I'm not just saying, and the black characters are secondary in that. <laughs> which is typical from a 1989 film. And it's typical from like that 90 things. And I think it's very interesting to talk about it because um, it is a great film and it is a great, about a great subject matter. And it's about celebrating a regiment of mainly African-American soldiers, which um, happened during the the secession war between 1860 and 1865 within the context of slavery. So all those elements, I got really obsessed when I was a young boy in Switzerland Mm. with black culture. I'm not going to hide. I'm the typical (laughs) white boy that got, literally in that 80s that completely got fallen in love with the hip-hop what, fallen in what love was with it? basketball what happened i think the americans were very clever to do a very big push without us realizing it yeah. in yeah. the 80s i mean you know watching last dance now i still have five pair of jordans that mm. i've collected one from i was young i mm. had posters of jordan everywhere i played basketball i played more of basketball than football yeah that's I so went. I went to during camps. Um, I'm a terrible singer, so I never really touched <laughs> the music. But you know, I went tagging at the time, and I'm from Switzerland. <laughs> you know, you got to do what you love. It's fine. You got to do what you love, and that's one of the great things in Switzerland. There's a lot of people say when you meet people from Switzerland, I've taken the passion in terms of music. There's great jazz musicians mm. in Switzerland. You know, one of the greatest jazz festival, Montreux, has greeted artists from like 70 you know 60 years now i think they're on their 70 years you know really few festivals are celebrating music like they have um as well as hip-hop you know we embraced hip-hop even before the uk embraced hip-hop yeah. in switzerland we had great great producers we had great crew of uh, beatboxers great crew of um and anything anyway yeah. but no i think it's it's just i think it's as well it's a reaction you know for me i think i guess in the uk in the 70s people took on punk yeah and i think me and he wanted big baggish trousers and <laughs> and and i think i don't know i think i think it was a counterculture meet uh, a, a way to express and something that I felt cool and I hated rock music. I started to love rock music. Yeah. Mm. I think everything that was, I could see around me, you know, Geneva has got a very, it's very international and you've got people from everywhere. Mm. And it's very interesting because compared to other places, you might have people from everywhere, but wealthy. I remember being at school and two of my friends um, were from, their parents were ambassadors from an African country. So they were at school with us, mm. but they were from a very wealthy background and probably yeah. not having the same uh, experience of being potentially from Africa that if they had been 
their parents had come as an immigrant. Yes, of course. So that's a bit more Switzerland for me. Do you see what I mean? It's just a bit weird. And we, we tend to not have social class in Switzerland. Yeah. Okay. That was shock when I came to the UK. Anyway, um, I've yeah. deferred again. No, no, it's fine. It's interesting. It's really interesting. It all plays a part in how you perceive what you see and how yeah. you consume it. So, yeah. And for me, then basically when I was young, I was obsessed by 1860, 1865. Mm-hmm. I, I was obsessed by the tunique bleu and the tunique gris. That's how we call them in, oh, okay. in French, is the blues and the, and, and the gray. And I was obsessed with the, from a very young age, I have two bugbears. I never understood slavery and I never understood people who didn't understand LGBTQI. You know, I was 11 years old when Glory came out. So, um, and I remember watching it in the cinemas. Uh, I think I watched it, yeah, I was 12. And my mom and I, uh, I, I wasn't raised with a dad. I didn't have a dad. My dad passed away really young, so I was very close to my mom. So we would go to the cinema a lot together. And... My mom brought me to see things that now normally you wouldn't potentially, you would say, oh, it's not the right age and stuff. She would bring yeah. me to see, I've seen loads of uh, film that maybe wasn't completely, but it was always, and I remember seeing the film and mm. completely falling in love with all the characters, you know, yeah. Freeman and, and Denzel Washington. And what I found pas- fascinating is at the time they were tiny young actor, Morgan Freeman, he was already a semi-established actor, yeah. but a bit older, but yeah. Denzel Washington was at the beginning of his career. And now when you see... And he won, the, become, he won the Oscar for that as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think that was one of the first Oscar for an African-American. Mm. So I just, all those things, but again, but Edward Zwick doing it, the yeah. fact that Matthew Broderick was the main character, yeah. right Later on in my career, I've always looked at this film and I wish that, you know, if it had done been done by Steve McQueen, it'd be a very different film. If it had been done by anyone, it would have been a different film for sure. Yeah. But yeah. basically, if actually the director, I think it's less of an issue, but the producer the and the angle mm-hmm. and the financier and finding the, the you know, the story, the, the narrative of it. The, the narrative of it and finding the audience you want to talk to would yeah. have been very different now from, from back then. So well, I think you, it's a film that would be amazing to be remade. I was going to ask you this later, but since we're on the topic, if you had the opportunity to retell the story, how would you and who would you cast? Because I think I was thinking about this as well when watching Sorry. it. There were so many cringy moments or a few white saviour moments um, there was a few moments where it's, I get it, where the story's told from Matthew Broderick's point of view because it's the letters. However, again, it's taken away from the 54th Regiment that broke glass ceilings and stood up and really represented men at a time that even the blue coats didn't want them to fight. So it, it was it was very confusing. And of course... I think that's it, another detail I liked, is the fact that yeah. at least in the film they showed that, because we, this, you know, this part of American history is being painted against like the blue coat were good. They were yeah. not good. Nobody was good. And this is it. And it's like, you don't even, you know, you're, you're fighting for their so-called freedom, but you don't even want them to be free enough to fight for themselves. It was just a whole contradictory, but it was, it was a truthness, you know, it was truthfulness because that's how it is. People consider themselves liberals, um, but then they have very like bigoted mindsets. Or, yeah, you but know, you know, sense. the liberal term is a very dangerous term because I think a lot of people consider themselves liberal right now. Yeah, 100%. Oh yeah, 
and they're very far from it. You, so just go back on the um, on the point, if you were to tell the story, um, because I think we probably found a few things the same that were like this could be remade. There's so many stories to tell. I mean, I'm, I'm, I follow, let me not, I follow a lot of, um, again, it's my slight um, obsession, you know, I follow the, um, the Museum of uh, Freedom Washington, the, the Slavery Museum, and yeah. NCC, and a lot of, let me just see. Basically, there's a lot of stories that I keep on seeing, and this story has been told, but there's a lot of stories. Some, the first African American lawyer in 18. There's a lot of other stories, more than just this one that I would tell. Okay. And I would actually, many stories I would tell in the US, I think should be from an intellectual point of view. Do you see what I mean? Instead of just like fighting for freedom, I think yes. it's. Um, yeah. I just saw, um, not just see it, what's the title again? With um, the Black Panther actor. And, uh, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. Um, is it just messy? messy? Yeah. yeah. And again, just messy was a great one, but there's a lot of great individual within the the culture, which would be really interesting to 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 look into. Um, I think I would tell it from the from the character of Denzel Washington because for me, he's got that anger mm. that really, you know, some of the other characters kind of try to fit in, where yeah. he's angry and brightly so. You know, what's really fascinating, a huge amount of African-American have been in the US for two to three, two to 250 years. Yeah. America is a huge amount of the WASP or the white immigration is more late 19th century and early 20th century. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the African-American are more Americans and will always be more American than any American afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And I just find fascinating when people are trying to think who was there first. Anyway, yeah. I'd, I'd like to tell a story about South Africa, actually. I find South Africa f fascinating and I find that we tend to forget a little bit about apartheid as well. Do you see what I mean? There's oh, been I a little bit of feedback. I, I, think, I don't even think it's about forgetting. I think the problem with the world or um, people of today, anytime you start talking about <laughs> trauma or that's happened, especially most recent, what happened with apartheid, people pretend like that was such a long time ago and it really wasn't. Like, I literally remember it. And it was a but thing. Think about Rachel. People still make film about the Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm saying. And that was, you know... And that was 70, 80 years ago, 70 years people, ago. It, I think because of the apartheid was so... It's so close and it's still... People are still reeling from that pain um, and suffering from that and there's still a lot going on. I think it's the wound is still open. <laughs> and I think the problem again is like financially within the movie business, we are still led by the US. Exactly. The US, I don't want to sound... Um, insulting but you would have a lot of the audience in the u.s have no clue where south africa is mm -hmm. do you see what i mean no oh, yeah. interests of south africa yeah i mean again the thing with glory which i thought i have i'm a bit of a sucker for i'm a bit of a sucker for honor i think that sometime you know i maybe was this little boy when I, i'm still i'm still a little boy so i love those emotions and i love those big moments where yeah there is a savior thing. It's a white savior in this one, but there is a sense of savior. There is a sense of camaraderie. There is a sense of coming together. So when I was young and I was watching it, he was yeah. that was really giving me hope. Do you see what I mean? It was just yeah, really no, no, I feeling. totally, yeah, I totally agree. And, and I think 
one way to kind of combat, I was talking with Adam earlier about um, how to tell better to tell a story is through the soldier's eyes and the soldier's story, where they've come from, um, because they were made up of different, you know, um, whether just, you know, being released as slaves or, you know, some of them were kind of, you know, not on the plantation anymore. You have Denzel's character who was a runaway and he's got this um, really strong presence and anger that you feel and you, but it's warranted and you, and you, and you get it. And I just kind of feel like at the beginning, I was like, you could have, we could have got rid of at least 20 minutes because <laughs> it was a little yeah. bit like, you know, um, I don't know, it was just a bit pandering and um, there was background music that was just a bit unnecessary. You just didn't quite know where this was going. And I think from the tent scene, when the black soldiers are kind of introduced to each other, you see Morgan Freeman, Freeman Denzel, then you're like, okay, you, you get the kind of, the sense of we're in this together, we're completely different, but we're kind of in this together. We've all got points to prove. Um, and I think that was when the film kind of picked up um, I think if it was made today, I'm not a big fan of remakes. No, uh, kind of like, I just think there's more stories to be told, like you said. Um, however, if that was the case, we did say Denzel could still play an older person because that's how good he is. Um, but the likes of Daniel Kaluuya and um, Damson Idris would be really good to cast in this as well. I think they would, they would be able to portray those emotions and vulnerability uh, that we need from these sort of characters. Um, I think what is great right now, you would have a lot, a much bigger pool of talent oh, to look for. Oh, so much. Yeah. And earlier you mentioned um, Michael B. Jordan with Just Mercy, and yeah. he has said that his character for Black Panther, Killmonger, was based on Denzel Washington's character in Glory. Um, he kind of drew in from that. And I can completely see the connection of this like, you know, angry black man from yeah. how he's been treated in history and whatnot and him acting out to try to try to reclaim some power back. Um, so which I thought was really, was a really nice connection. Yeah. I mean, he's a great, I, I, I just, I just, I just, I really like Just Messy. I think mm -hmm. obviously, you know, um, they're both great, but I really liked the film and I, I started to read a lot about the, um, the lawyer the, um, the lawyer mm -hmm. because I thought he was such an interesting character um, Jimmy Fox always steal the frame uh, mm. you know he's, he's he's so talented he's so talented yeah you know, he's just but again you know he's so talented but is he Brad Pitt in terms of like the statue he commands in Hollywood is he uh, Leonardo DiCaprio no is he a better actor yes do you see what I mean and it's you know oh <laughs> oh, <Ian. laughs> these are these are the million dollar questions um yeah. but i definitely what i like about just mercy and i know we're going off target here but it's another it's not like as a black person i'm a little bit overseeing uh slavery films because they're just trauma like porn trauma you know yeah. and it's like okay this happened but there's so many like you said as well there's so many other stories that can be told and even though for me that's a modern day slavery story you know mm -hmm. the just mercy story yeah. that is you know but it's also it's system. yes creating slave yeah, yeah um, black people and so but then you have this black lawyer who's young and doesn't really have to do what he's doing but you know through passion and love and and just care for humanity 
you know, perseveres and he's still alive to tell this story. So for me to see that was just like, oh, it was, he's still working. Yeah. He's still working no. When, when they said, yeah. as, how many people he, come, he took out from the hundred? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, yeah. yeah it, it's something <laughs> crazy like that, you know, and it goes to show what you can do as one person. Cause we all, we always feel a bit like, what can I do? Like I'm just one person, but he's um, evidence that you can. Yeah. And the same thing was, you know, I think potentially the time of glory to see those soldiers walking through towns and cities must have inspired a lot of young kids back in the, you know, mid yeah, of the 19th exactly. century, you know, instigate pride instead mm. of always being shut on. And yeah. I think that's why it's really important is that every level people have constantly have to try to inspire other people because that's how we move forward as a society. Do you mm. see what I mean? There is a scene in the film when they're walking by and there's a bunch of little kids and I think he leans over to say something to one of them like, and they're so, their faces are just beaming with excitement and just so happy to be like, whoa, they were in uniform and they look like stand-up guys. So it's just that vision that sometimes can make the change. You don't even have to say anything. It's just visually um, the impact that that can make. Yeah. Um, so, but going back to the film, do you have any favourite scenes that stood out to you because I've, I've admitted I've managed to rewatch it recently but <laughs> um, the, the, the really strong scenes that I kind of remember um, I think I will go for the final battle when a lot of them fall if I remember well, when all, mm-hmm. all of them die. That was I quite moving. The music was great as well in that. Yeah. Band. But again, as you said, it's very 80s and 90s. It's very, mm. like, oh, it's very like, you know. Yeah, uh, quite over the top. I think I remember someone picks up the flag, one gets killed and someone picks up yeah, the flag. Yeah, Denzel picks it up at the end that's as well. It. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's one of my favourites. I did think the, uh, the whipping scene with the one here, Denzel, um, was quite moving. Um, and up until that point, I wasn't as emotionally connected to the movie. But yeah. when that scene happened, I was like, oh my God, I was, I was fighting back the tears. And you can see yeah. he's fighting back the tears and there was just this like, yeah, this emotional battle um, going on. And also when the soldiers are sitting around the campfire and they're having like a whole gospel sermon session and just talking about their feelings, um, I felt like that was such a black scene. Like, I don't know if they if they got someone on board to kind of say, this is, this is what would probably most happen is that even in the face of like danger and the inevitable of them probably dying tomorrow, um, they're singing and, and just talking about what they're grateful for, which is um, a spirit that I definitely can recognize. Yeah. Mm. And I think the, I think the change that they've worked in the Matthew Broderick character mm. and how he comes to, see things in a different way despite it's still I, th- I think th- I remember it as a strong thing which I kind of like you know you saw the journey of a character yeah he had um, a full a full arc development yeah. Yeah. yeah um I did feel like the end was the end ended a little bit abrupt like it was like this the whole film was building up to this battle and mm-hmm. and I think it's either maybe yeah, where does the movement really go yeah do you know what I mean? And it's like, and then it's just a few words at the end to explain what happened afterwards and how that affected it. I kind of wish they'd carried on a bit more and built up on the back end of the movie rather than the beginning for me. 
Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. Almost said like to know more about the future, the what happened afterwards, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. I mean, you know, it's it just feel again. I feel that the film was so much tailored for an audience at the time that would be a completely different audience. They will be thinking about it completely. Do you see what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah. You you know, the film industry is a funny industry. Yeah, because. It has got a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. But it takes so much time for things to happen. Mm. It feels that even if the wheels are in motion, they're going to really get somewhere two, three, four, five years later. Yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. No, no, I hear mean? that. And then it sometimes all happens at once and you're like, oh, there's a movement happening, but it's actually been in the works for a, for a minute. The director, Edswick, um, he's done a few other epic movies, Blood Diamond, um, The Last Samurai. What do you think he gets right about this film, about Glory? I mean, for me, the fact that the film came out. Yeah, yeah. At the time, to tell you the truth, the film that, you know, <laughs> I don't even know all of the, you know, all of the, the story, you know, there's not been books or I couldn't find anything. The mm. fact that this film, you know, I always wonder if a film like this took 10 years to be made or actually was made quickly or 20 years to be made. Do you see, do you yeah. see what I mean? Um, I wonder if there was draft where actually um, the soldier had a bigger role. Well, apparently uh, Matthew Broderick's character had more of a bigger role. And then after some consideration and they had a few people come on board, um, they decided to cut some of his scenes out and leave more of the soldiers in to kind of build up their characters and give it more of that feel because I think it just kind of felt a bit like we were saying white saviour complex and and stuff like that and telling it from their point of view whereas actually we want to know who these soldiers were that's the whole point um of the film and of course he sacrificed his life and and led these men into battle and he should be honoured in that way 100% um so it's kind of trying to find that that balance yeah exactly but they all sacrifice their lives too. Oh yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they sacrifice their lives, and so you have to show their story. Yeah, as well. But that's that's quite good. You read that because I was wondering if it was one way or the other, and that I yeah. think is a good way. But again, it's just um, uh, I don't know if how long you've got left, and I should maybe go and look after my family. No, okay, I'll keep. I'm reining it in. You know, one of the problem of the lack of diversity of our industry is mm-hmm. I always found is just how costly it is to sustain yourself in this industry. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? How costly it is to make film, how costly it is to to live, for instance, let's say you're in London or New York or Los Angeles. Yeah. So the fact that can you count financially on your family to help you out to potentially mm-hmm. do some some um, some running for people or do an internship and stuff like this? And yeah. again, it comes from a privileged background, and I see the film industry less. And maybe I'm completely wrong, but I think the the main issue is that it's a money-driven industry. Mm-hmm. You need to have money to sustain yourself. So whoever can sustain themselves mm-hmm. one, two, three years, you know, you might go to film school for two, three years, yeah. and you need another two, three years easily before you're in a position where you make a decent amount of money. Exactly. And if you're from a more humble background, potentially your mom and dad, I said, get a proper job. Yeah. And I wouldn't blame them because I got told to get a proper job. I, I'm exactly the same. I didn't get into telly until a bit later because I couldn't afford to get into telly until a bit later because you can't just be not working and contributing and, and you know, <laughs> paying for yourself. I don't have rich parents to kind of fall back on or um, 
I come from a single parent household. So I felt bad if I was to not be contributing or helping my parent in any way and um, coming from a big family. So it is a, a social economic problem. And this is something that we were talking about even where I work currently. Um, we're based in Stratford, but there's barely anyone from Newham <laughs> who works there. And then it's just like, you know, or even the neighboring boroughs or Redbridge. And so it's like, what are you guys doing to help these kids who are looking at this company and thinking, oh, I have no idea how to get there. Um, and you guys are all coming from West London, South West London or whatever, and, and taking up this space and not even considering the environment that you're in. And it's all about having someone in there to kind of open the door, give them the opportunity so that those barriers can be broken down. It's not that they can't do it. The opportunity is just not there because everyone, you know how telly is, it's kind of like everyone brings in their friends. And if you're from a particular area and a particular circle, that's all you're going to keep bringing in. Um, and so there's this discussion going on right now of how to genuinely, authentically diversify, not just to tick a box, but to ingrain it in your company and your business um, without it feeling like a chore. And it's very difficult because we've been looking at it while making the film for people with an impairment. Mm. Again, you know, someone with a wheelchair, especially within a pandemic situation, which might have trouble to come to your office. If you work remotely, no more excuses. I'm, I'm quite an anarchist and an anarchist doesn't mean you want to destroy everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You put in doubt the establishment constantly. You just constantly look at the political movement and the political, you don't live as a status quo. You don't take because someone has been voted in everything they say for granted. You know, one, one thing is I think the youth need to go out voting. They need to yeah, yeah. their voice. They need to talk and we need to be more vocal. I think mm -hmm. we tend to be absorbed by materialistic things and be busy with life and, and stuff like this. And sometimes we should just forget a bit about that, use our brain and try. Mm -hmm. It will probably benefit everyone in the long run if everyone was more involved in trying to sort things out. Yeah, so. definitely. I'd agree. Um, so for those people who haven't watched Glory or haven't watched it in a while, what's, is there a particular scene that you would direct them to YouTube and say, just to give them a little teaser about Glory to entice them to watch the rest of the film? <laughs> wow. You should have told me those. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I put you on the spot there. No, no, yeah, you sp I think I've blah blatted enough that there'd be interesting things to use anyway. <laughs> um, for me, it's actually the um, they're all falling as as men at the end. The fact that in in front of death we all equal, yeah. and if you you fight for one thing, it's a little bit over the top. I totally mm. agree. But I still remember that's what marked me the most. I totally, you know, you mentioned um, the, um, the flagellation one and you mentioned the singing together. I remember as well the scene when they first meet. Yeah. Uh, but I think the end for me is just this idea of trying to, to, to lose you. People were not going to get the freedom out of this fight, but they were representing something that was already a massive change yeah yeah and i think they were ready to die for it because of most they had nothing to lose mm. and i found that fascinating because i think very quickly in our society now we feel we've got so much to lose you've got mortgage to pay or mm. your salary or you don't want to say too much you know um 
you know, the story of Colin Kopernik, you know, put, mm-hmm. taking a, a stand, you know, he never played again as a, as yeah. a football player, despite being an extremely talented football player. Yeah. But because he took this stand, suddenly he became, you know, an icon and mm. probably on the long run on his life, he lost yeah. his sporting career, but he becomes something bigger. Yeah. Sorry, I make another thing. But I think those guys, you know, what they've done, they, you know, we've made a movie, this, this, this movie come out of glory. And I think it's this fact of doing something much bigger than yourself. Yeah. And just yeah. accepting to to die for it. I don't know. I think that's very inspiring. And that's not only connected to background or skin color do you see what I mean it's a very yeah. human thing yeah and it's a very inspiring thing yeah yeah and it's I, beyond culture sorry no 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 I totally agree with you um another scene that does come to mind it's not very doesn't have a lot of action um but when Denzel's character is speaking to Matthew's character by the the water and he talks about um I think carrying the flag having a conversation about carrying the flag and he's like, I'm not going to carry the flag. And obviously we kind of understand why, because the flag doesn't represent him. Um, but he goes on to say, after this war, you're going to go back to your life and you're going to go back to your, your house. Privilege. Yeah. What do I, what am I going after, after this? And I think that poses the most important question about the now and then what happens going forward. Um, and it's kind of like, everyone's just, okay, we just want to win this war, but actually not thinking about the bigger picture are we still going to be equal in this? And I just thought that was such a poignant discussion that they had that mm-hmm. can go over your head amongst the war and amongst the action that goes on. But actually that is the most important question of the film for me. And I thought it was an important um, scene that they both had. Yeah. And you make the, and then I think the fact that he picks up the flag. Yes. And then the, the Majibori character dies. So he doesn't go back to his life because yeah. actually... You know, he he makes the uh, one of the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, no, it's I agree. So it's probably this that scene set up the ending in a very yeah, powerful way. Yeah. Exactly, because it, it showed that he was, you know, he didn't want to, but he still went and picked it up. Yeah. Um, Ian, I know you've got to get back to your kids, so I don't want yeah, to take sorry. too much of your time. But and it was really about this forever. Really interesting. And um, would you? Uh, I got asked the other day for. Um, woman or man, a black documentary maker. Okay. And I was like, is it because it's a question and I'm on a mission to find uh, a few young talent out there, mm-hmm. but in the doc space, but there's not so many people coming through. So is it because of a lack of interest in that thing? Because it's actually a cheap thing to do in a way. Do you see what I mean? I don't think it's a lack of interest. Like I think it's a lack of access. Where to start? Yeah. yeah, it's a lack of access and understanding and um, there's not, there's not, there's very far and few in between. Um, and another point that I brought up um, with this whole thing that's going on is that a lot of my peers would have left the TV industry by the time they get to my age because it is quite racist. And you're just thinking, I can't be asked to be in this room of, they call it banter. It's not banter, you know. Um, even when you're, even when you speak up, you'll get shunned or your contract will be cut short because you spoke up. So it's kind of, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. You either sit there in silence and take it or you speak up and you're perceived as an angry yeah. black woman or an angry black boy or being too black or not being black enough. Like, yeah. imagine someone... Yeah 
<laughs> someone white telling you you're not being black enough. Yeah. Um, you know, these I mean, are the, the coconut, the coconut effect. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, honey, we're coming all, all creeds and um, all personalities. I don't know what you've been told, but yeah, just because I don't, I don't know, talk like a roadman doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not black. Do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, but yeah, yeah. I definitely think there, there's a lot of interest um, and it's, it's funding, it's money. It's yeah. Money. And that's the sad truth because it's actually dark. You can't really just do it for, you can take 10 years. I'm not saying which one and I'm, you know, it's like, you know, there's the big blockbuster ones, but you can't yeah. just, you know, contemplate for a year or two discreetly you just accumulate the stuff and i'm thinking about it mm. adam and rachel keep thinking with me i will think with you i'm i'm, yeah, I'm plug up, it up in. that for sure no literally just, plug it in i just want to say a huge massive thank you for no, thank joining you. us you've blessed us with your presence and i really appreciate it um you know we've spoken beyond glory um and i hope once we're up and running that you can come and join us for one of our screenings um it will be great i will there. no definitely i will and uh, even if you do a screening like you know zoom screening and stuff let me know i mean oh, awesome. <laughs> juggling too much with two boys and and uh homeschooling and and the work yeah. and stuff but i'd definitely love to oh, and and again keep you plugging on the floor i'm looking for this woman or this man i'm here i'm here just just give me a shout i've got a lot of ideas and uh yeah i would love to share them cool thank you thank you very much rachel have a lovely evening